Happy Mother's Day to all our moms. Don't we have the best moms? That was poor. Don't we have the best moms in the city? Yeah, that, there you go, yeah. Well, it's, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, I was telling the first service, this is the first time uh, in a long time that we've had our entire family. You guys are going to have to come around, kind of sit over here. Uh, I don't know that you've met our whole family because uh, girls were at college when we came to Farmington, um, but uh, this is Bianca, who's our admin at Apple Valley for at least another week. She got engaged last Friday night. <laughs> And uh, is moving to California, and so she's no longer, and Caitlin, is Caitlin Corley here? There's Caitlin, Caitlin, stand quick. She's, this is our new admin at Apple Valley, and uh, taking Bianca's role, and then uh, ba this is Bailey, so they're identical twins. Um, <laughs> And, and she is our, gra our graphic design person here at Bethel's Rock. And then, of course, you know my wife, Heather. And then Mackenzie, who's children's pastor here, and her husband, Edwin, who does a lot here. We're, we're a family that really is, yeah. If you're visiting today, this is a little bit different Sunday than what it would normally be. And so... Uh, just uh, if, you, if you're like, well, it's not what I was looking for, just come back next week. <laughs> you know, this is a year of being devoted. It's our theme for being devoted. And my wife um, emailed a few moms and asked them what they would like us to talk about. And so we're going to try to address a, a some of those things. You know, devoted families are a God idea. And I know that's simple, but you have to really believe that it's a God idea. Having family and being family is a God idea. There are some things I'm going to share today that maybe you may, you may, the enemy is going to try to get you offended over. And, and I'm telling you, it is the enemy who's doing it. Because just like in tithing, uh, if you're a tither, you love tithing messages. If you're not, you hate them. Right? And there may be things that I'm going to share, and some of it you may like, some of it you won't. Some of it may be good for your home. Some of it may not be what you want. In the end, you're the, you're the one who leads that home as mom and dad. We're learning how to parent adults right now. How many know that that's a challenge in and of itself, right, to go from kids to adults? And it's a God idea, and Satan is t attacking the concept of family. He's, he's coming at it pretty hard, and um, Jeremiah 31, 1 says, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. And I really do believe that God is working for your family. So if you feel like you're alone or it's been difficult or tough, I want to tell you it's God's will that you have an incredible family, and God is going to help you where you're weak, and He's going to... He's going to give you wisdom in leading your family. So we're not up here to say that we're a perfect family at all. We're here just to kind of illustrate some of what I want to talk about, which is you hear a lot about dysfunctional homes, but we don't talk a lot of about functional homes. 
and a culture of function. And so what is a functional home? What are things that are functional? How has my home become functional? L listen to this statistic. And historically, there is nothing we can do to change anything in this country if this statistic continues the trend that it's headed down. Here it is. The census, U.S. Census did this. The share of the U.S., 130 million households 130 million households headed by married parents with children under the age of 18 fell to 17.8%, down from 18.6% last year. The trend of homes where there are two parents in the home is actually getting worse, and no society has ever succeeded when that's happened. In order for everything, it doesn't matter. All the moral issues, all the problems we have in our society will not change no matter how much money you throw at it, no much matter how activist you become about it. That has to change or it will not change. We're wasting our time. And I want to talk a little bit about that because how often have we heard a person testify that they were raised in a very functional home, right? Normally, the story is, always starts that their lives and the decisions they made were negatively, negatively influenced by the dysfunctional family they were brought up in. So if a functional home is so important to that in our life, wouldn't it be important for us to look at our own homes and say, is this a functional home? Are we functioning the way God designed it? Joshua, a very familiar verse, Joshua 24, 15 says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods of the ancestors beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Here's what I would say for every one of us here. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You have to make the decision. What is your family going to be? And how do I, what is really the goal of this home? What is the goal of this home? What is, because you, can't, you cannot know whether you're in a dysfunctional situation unless you know what the function is. What's the purpose of this family? What's the goal of this? What are we trying to accomplish in this family and how are we going to get there? And most people can run business. They put all their time into running businesses and their job, but they think it's just a devoted family, a family, a healthy, functional family is just going to happen. It will not. If that's what you think will happen, your family is headed in the wrong direction. You have to know what you're trying to accomplish in your family. And, and there are some major attacks on the home. This is actually, uh, used to be our kitchen table. <laughs> so we sat at this table. These chairs weren't this high. but So I feel like we should be eating something as we're sitting here. But here are some major attacks on the home. And I'm going to give them, and like I said, there are things you're not going to like, okay? That's okay. In the end, you're going to do what you want, and you're going to get the results you want. And I pray that they're great. I'm just your pastor telling you we've raised our kids, and this is what we've done, and you're going to hear from their perspective as well. Okay? You can give me that grace, or I'm not doing this again. <laughs> okay? We're not trying to tell you what to do. We're just trying to share with you what we did and how we got there. And, and there's an important point I'm going to make. But the first major attack on the home is cohabitation. 
I don't often talk about some of this stuff. You know why? It's because I know there are people from all kinds of walks of life. And the last thing I want to do is try to keep you from recognizing the love of God. God loves you if you're cohabitating. But cohabitating, make no mistake about it, is not healthy for your home. What cohabitation is, is saying, I don't necessarily believe we need to be married to have to play house. That we'll move in together and we'll have sex and it's just an activity and sex is way more than that. Listen, if you're a young person here, I know society's saying it's not a big deal to have sex before marriage, but it's a huge deal. You will always have repercussions from having sex before marriage because it's something that was intended for the commitment. You commit to marriage, then you have sex. It, it, there's something about it that's important in that home, and, and it was a big deal. We openly talked about sex in, in the home. Heather had never had a problem talking about it. There was one point where Heather was trying to teach Mackenzie how to flirt. This is not, this is not in the notes. <laughs> the, the, Bailey and Bianca. Um, this is my husband. <laughs> ba Bailey and Bianca were like, Mom, stop right now. <laughs> That's how you did it then. That's not how we do it. Now. It worked. <laughs> uh, there, in a recent survey, 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes or homes that are broken. This is an unbeliever who wrote this, David uh, Popno. A Rutgers sociology professor, report and co-author, speaks of the increase of cohabitation. He said, I don't think it's good news, especially for children. As a society shifts from marriage to cohabitation, it's an attack on what God instituted. If, if, you're, if you're saying, I want to be a follower of Christ, but we're going to cohabitate, what you're saying is, I want to follow Christ, but I don't want to follow Christ. He created marriage, not cohabitation. He said it's good to be married. It's a good for a man and a woman to be married. He did not say it was good to cohabitate. And, and so if you're in that place, you either make the commitment. There was a preacher um, in Michigan who said, if before you let them up your halter, you, they better take you to the altar. Richfield thought that was funny, but <laughs> it's the reality of you don't get sex until you commit to this. Uh, there should have been an amen there. I don't know where in the world we've come as a people where that isn't a bigger issue where we say, yes, I agree with that. Amen. Okay, okay. But look at, he says, the United States has the weakest families in the Western world because we have the highest divorce rate and the highest rate of sol solo parenting. As he says, as society shifts, he says, we have an increase in family instability. That when, when you don't know if your parents are going to be married in your home, it creates instability and insecurity in the child. And this was something that we saw happen. Yeah, um, when we, when, well, I should tell you, James and I, we don't argue, we just passionately discuss things, okay? <laughs> That's how we've made ourselves feel better about it, because we are pretty passionate when we disagree on things. And so our kids have grown up kind of seeing that. But when they were little, I know Mackenzie had had a couple friends in her class that had experienced divorce in their home. And one day when James and I were passionately discussing something, we finished and she came to me and she said, Mom, are you and Dad going to get divorced? 
And I was like, oh no, I'm gonna put up with his boneheadedness for the rest of my life. No, I'm just, I didn't say that, but that's what I thought. But I was like, no, Mackenzie, no. But I mean, it was a, it was a fear because she had seen some of her friends experience divorce. Yeah, she went to school and, and her friends and the instability that is there that it creates in a child. So mom and dad, when you bring up the word divorce, you don't realize when your kids hear that, what that does in them. It creates, you have to be careful how you talk to one another and discuss with one another. This is, so the first one is cohabitation. The second threat that really is a big deal is outside influences. You have to realize there's there are a lot of outside influences. Social media, which I've spent a lot of time talking about, is just one of the outside influences. And, and uh, there were, like, uh, like, we didn't give them a phone because they felt like they needed a phone. By the way, I should preface, they don't need more friends. They need parents. And as parents, you need to know what's best for them, regardless of what their other friends are doing. And quite frankly, regardless of what some other parents are doing. You don't base your parenting on, on parents that are still raising their kids. You base your parenting on the older people in this, in this room where you go, tell me, help me with this. What should I do in this situation that have raised godly kids? If that's what you want. Now, if you want kids that are rebellious and horrible and don't listen to a word you say, go find those parents. Just don't tell them that's why you're asking them. <laughs> I just love how your kids disrespect you. They're not serving the Lord. Will you help me raise that, those kind of kids? <laughs> Right? So social media is one of those things where you, wanna, you need to pay attention. There should be no off-limit spots. That's what society tells you. They need off-limit spots. No. There, there was a time where uh, you were, Bianca, you want to tell them about the text message? <laughs> um, so when Just I Just leave the mics on. Yeah. Uh, so when I was, what, 13? 14 maybe? 14. Um, we'd just gotten phones, uh, freshman in high school, uh, I was talking to this boy, um, and we weren't allowed to talk to boys really at that, <laughs> at that stage in life yet, um, especially not like texting, and so, um, I, being a little deceptive, put the boy's name a under, <laughs> put the boy's name under a girl's name, um, thinking my dad wouldn't find out. And so we were texting on vacation, and uh, my dad came into my room one night and picked up my phone and started reading the text messages and was like, this is not a girl. And I was grounded for two months from my phone. So. Joe was Josie. Yeah. <laughs> Clever. Heads up, parents. You got to be smarter than your kids. I, we, their phones were mine. They were using my phones. I paid for them. They're not their phones. It was a privilege. And so I went through their text messages. I looked at their text messages. I don't care about this. Whatever stuff they got out there where you just let your kids go and experiment, no. No. And mom and dad, you should never feel like intimidated by that. Like you're messing up. You're not. You're being a good parent. Yeah. Right? Here's the other one, people speaking into their lives. Heather had a saying she used to tell them all the time. Uh, Bad company corrupts good character. It's really true. 
And I think they'll remember, I heard her saying it all the time. There are all kinds, do you know all of the influences that are speaking into the lives of your kids? Do you, do you know what they're watching on television or online and, and the, the videos? Because there's so many things, so many people, people you think you trust that are saying things to your kids and you don't know why your kids are responding that way, but it's because someone has influenced them. Yeah, so... I think one thing that your kids are, are listening to is your, their teachers, and so when I was in elementary school, I had a teacher, and she had told me, like I had done poorly on a lot of my schoolwork throughout the year, and, she, and I was upset, and I was like, why can't, I, why can't I get it right? And she said, Mackenzie, it's okay that you're average. There's a lot of kids that are average, and some kids, they're going to be really smart, and some kids just aren't. And so I went home, and my dad's like, why didn't you get a good grade on this test? And I was like, well, my teacher says it's okay that I'm average. It's just who I am. And my dad, he went back. I remember he came to lunch, to, to lunch with me one day, and then he walked straight with me to my class, and he talked to my teacher. And I remember all the kids waited outside, and all you could hear was my dad saying, don't you dare tell my daughter that she's average. She can be whatever she wants to be. She has to put in the hard work. And I think in that moment, my dad stood up for me, and he spoke into my life. And because of him... I believe that I could do better. I believe that with hard work, I could, I could get good grades. And it's a testament because I graduated high school with a 4.0. And so parents, the things you speak into your children's lives, they listen to it, they hear it, and it, it's who they become. You know, most kids are going to live up to the expectation that are set in the home for them. Kids at a very young age can do way more than you think they can. You have to find where that's at, and you gotta you gotta build that into them. Um, then there were then the other one are friends and boyfriends. <laughs> Proverbs twelve twenty six says the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. And um, um, yeah, we were pretty particular about who our kids were friends with. And um, we didn't let them go to a lot of houses that we didn't know kids. I remember they'd always come up to me with their friends and say, she wants me to come to her house. And it was awkward because the mother was there. And I was like, you know what? How about we not? <laughs> so we, but we had this thing where I always brought the kids to our house. I said, you can have the kids over at our, your friends over at our house. And then we could get to know them and know if they were someone that we wanted our kids to spend time further with or th their house. And we often, um, our door was a revolving door. And I think all the girls' friends knew that it was a revolving door. They could come in anytime they wanted. I would bake cookies and James would preach a sermon and the kids would gather around and they would listen because how many of you know that a lot of unchurched children aren't being parented at all? And we, I don't think we realized that at all until they started sitting and soaking up everything we'd say and everything, the love we gave them and the time we gave them, they'd just soak it up because a lot of families don't do that. I, we found that a lot of our friends would come back and want to just talk with our parents um, we wanted them to come play, and they wanted to come sit at the counter and talk to my mom, talk to my dad, and um, really, they just kind of built a relationship, um, kind of like a second mom and dad, and just spiritually, um, we just saw a development in their lives from it. I know a lot of my friends, I brought them to small group once at church when we were in, like, middle school, and we were kind of talking about who our spiritual leaders are in our life, and I had one of my best friends who basically lived at our house at that point, and she, she said, 
Heather Biffert is my spiritual leader. And that one stuck out to me because I realized, okay, my mom's not only like impacting my life, but when my friends come over, she's impacting their life too. Um, and so that was really cool. There was also a boy that came and kind of liked you one time. What was his name? Oh, yeah, so we had a lot of Josie, dating Josie, I think, was his name. <laughs> so I brought Josie to church because my dad didn't like him after I was texting him. Well, my dad didn't turn ahead to him. We had three rules when we, were date, when we wanted to date somebody. Um, they had to be a Christian, like a, real, like a real Christian, my dad's definition of a Christian. Um, <laughs> they had to go to church. They had to go to our church, so they had to come with us. And then they had to be a faithful tither. Um, and so, of course, I'm wanting to date this guy. And so I'm like, you should just come to church with me. Like, you can talk to my dad there. Well, we bring him to church, and sure enough, after youth group, I'm like, Dad, look who's here. Nope, doesn't turn ahead. He goes, okay, go find another church. And so, <laughs> traumatic, <laughs> traumatic. <laughs> That was what, the last what you're thinking is, what, what do you want him at the church? No, I didn't want him dating my daughter, so I said, go find another church. <laughs> and he did, and he dated the girl that would come to our house all the time. <laughs> He's great. But I think you're better off. Yeah. yeah. Here's the next one, uh, is another attack on his overextended schedules. I think a lot of times we put our kids into schedules that we want to have and not they want to have. Because there are things we want to accomplish. You have to really ask, is there margin for our kids to be kids? To kind of just not do anything. Is, and in many ways, is there margin in our kids' lives for them to be bored? The greatest teacher for a child is boredom. And what do they do in boredom? Because when they become adults and they get bored, they find things to do and it's often not good. Because they were never taught how to deal with it when it comes. How many grew up bored? Like, I grew up in the age where nobody had any money, right? So you went out and you found a tree, you broke it down and made it a fishing rod, and you fished with a, a baler twine and never caught it. How many lived that kind of life? You didn't have it. Now we got them so engaged for God forbid that any kid would get bored. Boredom is good for your kid. Um, overextended schedules, one of the things that we even talked about, like they're the, in your culture of your house in a functional home, Church was an important thing. Going to church, being there, their spiritual life was an important thing. And I know there are people who disagree with me, and that's okay, you can. It's no problem. I'm telling you what we did. I wanted, when we were raising our kids, I knew that they were good athletes, the twins especially, and I knew they could do all kinds of things, but I wanted them to know that being in church was the most important thing. And so some of you have asked them what they thought of it, so I'll just have them tell you. Um, we actually didn't care. Um, we understood it was we're a very competitive family So seeing my dad say you guys are gonna miss your championship game to go to church because that's more important That's more that's that's what stuck out to Bianca and I was saying Wow, that's like really important if my if our dad's wanting us to miss a championship game that has like college scouts or something like that so that's what Really stuck out to us and it didn't making church our priority didn't set us back in our athletic ventures at all like and Bianca would agree. We didn't feel like we lost playing time or we, it just made our teammates mad. It didn't, we didn't care. We were like, church, church is our priority. And that's what stuck with us when we went to college. We went to church every Sunday morning. Not even if we got back, or even if we got back at a late 
time every Saturday night from a sports game. We made a point to go to church because that's what's important. Here's the next one is roles and responsibilities. Did you want to say something? I did care about not missing or not being able to be at the championship game. She didn't care. I cared um, a lot because I'm very competitive in the championship game where everyone's getting medals and we're not there. Um, but that was kind of something that I had to, I feel like I look back on. Um, in the moments, I was really, really frustrated every Sunday with my parents and being in church, and I was kind of just sit there and slouch during the church service. Um, but I think looking back at it now, I realized how important that was. And I was honestly, I was really mad at my parents for making uh, me miss the game. But looking back, I realized the importance of it and just the commitment um, that I have to going to church now where I, I, I genuinely want to be at church. Um, I don't go because I have to. Well, and you guys talked about even when you were in college about a number of your friends on the team that never went to church once they went to college. Okay, here's the next one, roles and responsibilities. You know, there were traditions. How many had traditional roles and responsibilities in your home? You grew up with that. And now we're in an era where people say, we'll just share it. Uh, if you're one of those where you're saying, we'll just share it, you're going to have a lot of arguments about who does it most. You're going to say, I always cook. You always cook. I'm the one that always cooks. You get, where, whereas before, you assign responsibilities and roles, you always do the vacuuming then it's never a matter of anyone else, this is my responsibility. And I think in a home, we have to recognize that we all share responsibilities in the home, right? We all have a response. So what is your responsibility to the home? How are you serving this home? And you can start at a very young age, but what we've done is we've raised a culture of kids that haven't had any responsibilities in the home. They go get a job, they go to work. One, they feel like they should be appreciated by their boss for doing the minimal amount of work that they're being paid to do, and you should appreciate, I just not appreciate it. Well, it's a job. <laughs> you shouldn't be appreciated. Now, if you go above and beyond your responsibilities to do something, then you should be appreciated, but you're getting paid to do a job. But now, if I don't get appreciated, it's a toxic culture because I got to work, actually, Right? We all have a responsibility in a home. Let me ask you, and I've shared this before, in, in a home, uh, and, and how old were you, Mackenzie, when you really realized this, you know, uh, I think it was mowing the lawn. Yeah, um, <laughs> I didn't want to mow the lawn. I'm not really an outsidey, like, picking up dirt and stuff. Um, I like to clean, like, inside the house, because I don't really like bugs, um, but... I think it was funny because my dad was like, well, you know, it's summertime, you're not at school, like, you're old, you're tall enough to, like, push the, the mower, and so Bale and Bianca were disappointed, actually, they're like, I want to do it, and I was like, give it to them, but they weren't big enough, and so um, it was something was, we learned. She was eight years old. Yeah, I don't remember, but I just remember hating it. Um, and I remember it was a responsibility that we would do to the point that, like, when Bale and Bianca were old enough, you know, they had their, we would switch, and it would be my week to mow, and then Bianca's week, and that's how we took care. We also had, like, other chores, like washing the dog and, like, different things like that, so. Um, Did you get paid? No, we didn't get paid. I didn't have allowance to, to tithe off of when I was that <laughs> age. They, they, she didn't, they didn't get paid, but they had the privilege of being in our family, and in this family, 
we have all roles and responsibilities we have to pay. You don't get paid to be a part of this family. You get the privilege of being a part of this family. And if you're in this family, there are things you have to do to contribute to it. We live in a society now where parents go shopping for the food. They cook the food. They serve the food. The kids comes and sits down and says why they don't like the food. They get up and leave. Then we clean up after them. We put the dishes. Let me ask you, who is the slave in that relationship? Why would we think for a moment? See, well, it's easier if I do it that way. Parenting isn't easy. You are raising them to be adults. You just missed an opportunity. You teach them in those moments at a very young age how to be an adult. You have a responsibility and role in this relationship. You don't have to like it, but you do have to do it. Because if you drop the ball, somebody else has to pick up the responsibility. Too many moms are worn out, burnt out, and tired because they're trying to do everything. And then they had to go one time after Heather had done all of that stuff. They said, Mom, can you get up and get the catch up? And she's sitting right there. I'm like, you got legs. Get your butt out of that seat and get it for her. Like, like they did nothing. The kids should actually be the one getting up and getting stuff. Does this make sense? Any amens in here? Right? Well, I don't want to ruffle the kid. I don't want to make them. Are you kidding me? Galatians 6, 5, I like that. It says, for each one should carry their own load, right? Here's the, another attack on, on really the home is strife and marriage. Mom and dad don't get along, and uh, you, you really are being selfish when you can't put aside some of your differences, and all you do is fight in the home. You're teaching your kids that's how they interact with people. You have to learn how to interact with one another because every, can I tell you something? Everyone has those issues in their marriage, but not everyone handles them the same way. You have to learn as parents because what you're doing is teaching your kids how to handle strife in the workplace when they become adults. You're teaching them how to interact with their own spouses when they get older. You're always teaching those kids, and you're creating a culture in your home. So you really, you really have to understand the culture that we're creating. In a functional culture, it must be intentional. It must be intentional. There are three quick things. One, uh, Heather, who wants to share about uh, the devotional time? Who is that? Um, so growing up, we me and my sisters would always get ready and then my mom would drive us to school and one thing that was a consistent in our household um, was coming downstairs and seeing mom in her prayer chair um, and she'd just be like, okay, let me know when you're ready and I'll take you to school and I just remember that was something that was super consistent since I can, like, since I can remember. Um, just knowing that my mom was always praying over us and praying over my dad and um, over our future husbands and future families, and she would always consistently tell us, you know, be praying for that future spouse of yours, be for praying for those future kids of yours, be praying that God is guiding them and, you know, giving them wisdom right now, even though you're like 10 and you have no idea who they are. Like, she'd always be saying, she's like, I always pray for your dad. And so that was something, she tried to do devotions with us later in high school and we weren't about it. And, um, I just, I was like, the thing that really stuck with me is that I want to be a, a mother and a wife that's sitting in my prayer chair when my kids come downstairs and they see, see that. 
So first, it's intentional. Second, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Third, it takes humility. Sometimes we make mistakes, mistakes as parents, right? How many can say I made mistakes? But, but you, you have to be humble. The, James says God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. And when you, when you apologize to your children because we make mistakes, um, it's, it's incredible what will happen because you're teaching your kids to recognize they don't need to be perfect that they're going to make mistakes, but when we do, this is how we handle them, and that's what we do with our kids. This is really a key statement in this whole message. Dysfunctional events do not necessarily make a dysfunctional home. And I think a lot of times kids will focus in on a dysfunctional event and think that means they have a dysfunctional home. No, our, our whole life is full of dysfunctional events. That doesn't make it toxic. It doesn't make it dysfunctional. It just means it was an event that wasn't good. But in a healthy family, you take dysfunctional events and you make them work for good in your relationship. So you use them as a way to bring yourselves together. That's really the difference between a dysfunctional home and a functional home is one, how do you use the dysfunctional events that occur in your home? And we made a lot of mistakes and we wanted them to have an opportunity to tell you how many mistakes we made. So, and, and Edwin, you, we had talked about culture. Why, why don't you kind of share a little bit about that? One of the things that I, I quickly realized is that like as a family, they like to play war games and it gets very intense. Uh, and it, 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 I, I had, like, I didn't grow up playing games as a family, so that was new to me. But one of the things that I, I realized that while the games were fun, uh, it was more about creating that environment, that, that place where everyone can communicate, and we rarely talked about the game itself. Uh, but it was about creating the family culture. And uh, I think most of us, we see that, concept in the workplace where it says company culture uh, and when you look for a job that's one of the main things that you look for what's the company culture and I think that's something that it should be in the family as well that make it more pretty much a priority in the family so creating that environment and while playing games it's, it was fun except for the one that was losing uh, it was more about uh, Communicating, creating that, that safe place to communicate. And I was pretty hard on Edwin when he came in. You can tell me maybe one thing you thought. Yeah, well, one of the things that he, he told me the first time we met, it says, if you love Mackenzie, you're going you're gonna to walk away. And uh, <laughs> in, in my mentality was, uh, I'm a good person. They're going to be glad to have me. That's how I came into the family. <laughs> So, yeah, and that, that gave me a different perspective. And I remember, uh, like, in one of the sermons, he said uh, that his daughter was going to be the greatest gift that he was going to give. And I, I had never heard that before. And, and that changed my mentality to my approach. What can I bring to this family? What, how can I see what he's talking about? What's my role in the family like, coming in? And that, that opened up my mind a lot. You want to talk about mistake? mistake yeah. yeah. Um, Bianca and I were scarred around 10 years old. My dad had this thing where, like, he would wake us up at 8:30 in the morning, and be like, "Go get your basketball and dribble around the neighborhood two miles until you come home," something like that. 
And we were going on a family trip to Florida, I think, and we were driving through Tennessee. We stopped at this Chick-fil-A, and somehow our basketballs got put in the car because we had room for that. And uh, Bianca was, like, mouthing off to my mom or dad or saying something mean to Kenzie. She's just in that stage of life where she's really moody and mean. And, uh, <laughs> and she, uh, my dad was like, go get your basketball. Dribble three laps around Chick-fil-A. And it's packed. Like, you can barely find a seat. There's cars wrapped around Chick-fil-A. Bianca's like, what? And he's like, go get your ball and dribble three laps around Chick-fil-A. And so she gets out there. And she starts dribbling, she's like around one lap, and I start laughing because it's hysterical. Everyone is looking at her like, what is that girl doing? Like, she's got her basketball dribbling around, around cars, like, we, it was hilarious. So I'm laughing, and my dad looks at me and goes, do you think that's funny? And I was like, no. And uh, he was like, go get your basketball, there's one in there for you. So then I had to go get my basketball and dribble around Chick-fil-A because of her attitude and me laughing. So that's like a parenting thing he did. I was like, that did not do anything but was public humiliation and was horrible. Did nothing for us. I still think it worked, but... <laughs> but Kinsey, she was late all the time. We would leave her. I, I finally said, you know what? I'm tired of this, and we're, we're just leaving. So we got in the car, and I went and drove away. Heather was not happy with me. She's yelling at me for leaving her six-year-old. She was seven. The, she was seven yeah, at, the, at the house by herself. I'm and like, James thought it was okay to leave it her. Did, it didn't work. She still has a problem no, with that. She's still late. Right, Edwin? <laughs> still. <laughs> so there, there are all kinds of mistakes, man. We made way more mistakes than you probably even thought of making. But, but it's, it's not all of the mistakes. It's how you handle them when they happen. I, I can't come back that enough. We were very open about a lot of issues, and because I did a lot of counseling, I knew a lot of issues that were happening in families that were ahead of us. And so I started addressing it in our kids when they were small. You need to watch out for this. You need to be careful. One of the things I told them all the time, don't ever take advice from people your own age. I you want to save yourself a world of hurt, don't ever take, unless you're 70, there's not many older than you, <laughs> then you might want to take advice. Here, I'm going to give you, because we don't have time to go uh, past this, we're already past time, but I'm going to give you, home is where the heart is, and I'm going to just give you these quick things. One, home is where needs are met. It's a place where you go and your needs are met. And Maslow set it up for us. He says, sure, your food and water, that's important. And a lot of parents say, I'm your dad, you listen to me, I give you food and water. Well, that's the first need. There's a lot of needs beyond that. Second is security, where they feel safe, where there's health. Third is love and belonging, where they feel like they fit in the family. There was a point where Mackenzie, because she wasn't as athletic as the twins, she thought she was adopted. She went through this crisis for a month said, I'm adopted. You guys all play sports. I don't. I don't know why. And she went through this whole crisis of life. We're like, Mackenzie, trust. Heather's like, I would know if you were adopted. <laughs> you came on to me. You made these marks. <laughs> Are you blushing, hon? Yeah. <laughs> uh, then there's identity. Dad's you bring identity to your children. Moms, you establish intimacy. 
Dads, you bring identity. Moms bring intimacy. You work together and bring in that. Then purpose, and that was a big part of my m mission was you girls have a purpose. Now, I, I thought they would marry pastors. I never thought they would become pastors. There is a purpose for your children. That's why in baby dedications, when you're holding, I just see this incredible bundle of purpose. It's like a seed that's just getting, and I can't wait to see what it's going to blossom into. And we get all be play a part in watering that little seed. That's why kids ministry is the most important ministry in this church. By far. It, it is. Amen. It is. It is the most important. If you're not in kids' ministry, you should get in it. In some respect, you should get into kids' ministry and minister to, to kids. It's incredible. Then, home is where members serve one another, where you teach your children that you serve. When you're part of an organization, you're part of a team, you're part of this family. You look for ways to serve everyone on that team. You look for ways not to be served, but to serve. I first have a responsibility because if I sow service, I'm going to reap service, right? And so it's important. I hope as parents right now, you're thinking, boy, how can I engage my kids into serving. You know, we're a ministry family. So when Edwin came in the family, he didn't know what ministry was. He served, he volunteered, he did all of that. But it's different when you're a pastor's family and how that, and he has fit in and just kind of joined in with that and become a helpmate because we love serving you. That's, that's what this family is. And then home is where discipleship takes place. And that's having deeper friendships, um, Deeper friendship as parents with your kids where you're a parent and not a friend. Preparing your children to become adults. Teach them to take risks. I think, uh, parents, there was a day where you didn't keep your kid out of climbing a tree. We need to get back to those days. Because of media, you've heard about all of the horror stories of how your kid died, a kid died because he fell out of if we keep our kids from taking risks, they'll never get to where God wanted them to take. Because in order to follow God, it will require them to take a risk. That means they're going to do things that could hurt them. Right? Right, mom and dad? I, I remember uh, when the girls were small. Did, did you want to? Um, yeah, so when we were, I think it was four or five, um, we woke up one morning and my parents went for a run every morning. And so being a competitive four-year-old, I said, I want to go run with you one mile um, for a popsicle is what it was for. And um, so my dad's like, okay. And my mom's like, James Bifford, they will not make it a mile. They're four years old. Um, and so she hops in her minivan and I take off with my dad and Bailey and Kenzie and start kind of dropping like flies and go ride in the minivan <laughs> Well, I made, it, I made it the mile with my dad, which was super awesome, except the next week he put me in a 5K race with the community. Um, 5K, three miles. Well, she wasn't four anymore. She five. turned five. Five. Yeah, five years old. And so that was something, I mean, I remember being like, there's no way I'm going to be able to run three miles. And uh, sure enough, I ran it with my mom and made it three miles. And so that was a risk that kind of like, boosted me into this point in my life now where um, I kind of feel like, you know, you never know if you can do something unless you try, so. I mean, as parents, we can see what our kids can do. 
You don't leave them up to the kids. You keep taking them one step further so that they can see, I did it. And then they go to the next, and, the, and they'll begin to grow and develop in that area. Discipline, this was one of the questions we were asked. What do you do discipline? We spanked our kids. <laughs> Very hard. <laughs> we spanked our kids. I believe in it. The Bible believes in it. Uh, it says discipline your kids for in that there's hope that... Do not be a willing party to their death. So, uh, Proverbs 29, 7, it said, discipline your children and they'll give you peace. They will bring you the delights. If you want peace with your kids, discipline your kids. Discipline is short for discipleship. We spanked our kids not for everything they did, but when they did certain things, we were like, that's capital punishment, you're getting spanked. And uh, I think, who was it that said, it was it? What were you going to say uh, um, with the disciple? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't like everything. It was just things that we knew were wrong, but we continued to do, and just out of just being bad, I guess. But we had a metal spatula that you'd flip burgers with, and it turned into our spoon. And to this day, we still have it up in our cabinet because it's hilarious. It's shaped to our butts <laughs> as little kids. And I wanted to bring it today, but I was like, I don't know if that would go over well. But... You know, we got spanked, and I told my dad, I was like, at that point, I didn't like it, and I was like, I'm never going to do that to my kids, but after, like, growing up and babysitting kids, and, like, I was just like, I'm spanking my kids. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's not, you don't spank them for everything, just things that they know is, know is wrong, and that they continue to do it. And, and that changes for some kids, like Mackenzie, we would spank, spank Mackenzie, she was a little more silent, defiant, and... Uh, so with Mackenzie, she liked a room in order. So one time, instead of spanking her, she had done something that was just very not good. So I, I, I told the twins, I want you to go in a room, and I want you to mess it up as much as you can, pull the sheets off, pull everything off her cloth, like mess up her room, be a tornado. And put, I put Mackenzie at the door to watch. <laughs> Believe me, she didn't do it anymore. That was worse than getting spanked. <laughs> and, and the reality is, in your home, you have to know your child to know what it is. And, and you say, well, I, don't, I just don't believe in it. That's okay. You'll have to live with your results. And if you can make that work, and those kids are obeying everything you uh, put in front of them, that's okay, fine. If that works for you, that's your... God gave you your kids to be your kids. You get to choose what you want to do. I'm telling you what we did to get to where we were at. And that was something that was very helpful for us. And then uh, your home. So your home has to be a place where they're discipled. Then a home is where healing occurs, where you, got, you need to heal one another. And then lastly, home is where relational skills are learned, where we teach our kids to relate. I'm going to have Pastor Zach come up, and this has gone a lot further than I really wanted to go, but... I want, I want to say this. Will you stand? Thank you for being patient. Um, I, I love your family. You know, Zach, Pastor Zach and I, we love your family. And, and we're not telling you this because we're trying to tell you this is how you should do it. I hope that's clear. I'm just saying there, if you're intentional, God is working with you to raise a godly home. He wants your kids to follow him. You want your kids to follow him, Right? There's a couple in Richfield, their name is Sonny and Lena, 
And he was telling me a story of how they blessed their kids every night. There's something powerful about speaking a blessing over your children, talking positively about you. And they would lay their hands on their kids and bless them. And in one time, they had to discipline their oldest son for something he had done. And when they were done, the, the son came to his father and grabbed his hand and put his hand on his head and says, Dad, will you bless me? Just He's, he's probably eight years old. Because he recognized the power of a father's blessing. Do you, do you know, moms, dads, there's a power in you to speak blessing over your kids. Maybe you've never done it, but there's no greater time to start than right now. God bless you.